Well, good morning. As Rachel mentioned, uh, Brian and his family are off this week again, a well-deserved, uh, much-needed time of rest and, and, and just recharging and encouragement on spring break. And so I'm blessed to have the opportunity to open up the Word of God again today and to share a message with you this morning. And I was thinking earlier as I was, as I was sitting over there singing, what an amazing praise team we have, first of all. I mean, absolutely just an incredible team that ushers us into the throne of grace week after week, encourages us to praise him and lift his name up. And so if you have not thanked them recently, I encourage you to chase one of them down after the service and do that. But I was thinking as I was sitting there that the last time I had the opportunity to preach, we were still wearing masks. And so it's almost like a different church this morning. I mean, last time I was up here, I saw everybody's eyes, and now I see like real, there you go. Thank you, Robert. Now I recognize, I recognize you from back there. And I met Bill's wife earlier, and, and she said, no, I was here last time you preached, and that was the thing. I only saw this much of her face, so she's like a brand new, it's like a brand new church this morning. It's good to see, it's good to meet you all this morning. As Rachel mentioned, my name is Barry Cole, and I'm not the pastor here, and that's, if you are, this is your first time joining us this morning, um, that may be a good thing for you, because if you don't like the preaching this morning, absolutely blessed by the worship this morning, but you say, you know what, that preacher just didn't get it for me. That's good. Come back next Sunday, because Brian will be back here next week. But I do pray as we spend some time. What's that? With tan. That's right. That's right. With a tan, even though I, I, I don't remember where he went. If he went to New York. Okay, there we go. See, if he was anywhere around Oregon the last couple weeks, he's got no tan. <laughs> I'm glad to have this opportunity this morning, though, and and uh, as Warren preached last Sunday, and he's not here, you know, he works with college students, so he'd mentioned last Sunday, he doesn't get up this early usually, he's not a first service kind of guy, so we won't get a chance to interact, maybe this morning you won't get a chance to interact with him. He shared the message last week, and he stood up here, and he said, I'm not a guy who's called to preach, and then he just preached the paint off the walls, just did an amazing job, and so when you see him, let him know, just give him a word of encouragement, let him know what a tremendous job he did. But as Warren did last week, he said he's not going to continue in Brian's series in Daniel, and I'm not either. Brian and I didn't have a chance to talk and connect and touch base, and I wasn't sure where he was going to go, you know, the next series, next sermon in the series in Daniel. So I'm not going to continue in the series in Daniel, but I am going to continue in the theme of thriving and not just surviving. And I want us to continue to talk about that this morning. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do. I hope you make it your habit of bringing a copy of God's Word to church with you, or you have a Bible app on your device, and I'll trust you're not checking Facebook and email during the service. But if you have one of those with you this morning, and I hope that you do, take it out. Turn with me to the New Testament book of Titus, a short little letter about two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. As you're turning there, Titus is one of those letters that we commonly sort of sort of lump together with First and Second Timothy, and we call them the pastoral letters, because they are letters that Paul wrote to pastors. He wrote to Timothy, he wrote to Titus. Both of those men were pastoring churches when Paul wrote to them. And Titus was a guy that we might call today a fixer. There were challenges, if there were issues, there were, there were problems or things that needed to be dealt with in a church. Titus was often the guy that Paul would send. And, Ty, and Paul has sent him to pastor the church in the island nation of Crete. And that's where he's at when he gets this letter. And he's got a specific task and a big 
challenge ahead of him. You get a sense as you read through the first chapter of Titus, and down there in verse 12 of chapter 1, you get a sense of what the culture's like there in Crete. This is one of their own prophets, one of them within the culture, within society. This is what they're saying about themselves. Verse 12, he said, they are always, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Not the, you know, not a great, you don't put that on your, on your tra travel brochures. <laughs> come to Crete, we're all lazy liars and gluttons. That's not really what you tell people to come visit. That's the society. That's the culture that, that Titus is sent there to pastor in. And Paul sent him there with a specific task. And he mentions in verse 5 of chapter 1 really kind of what the task is, and that is to set things right, put things in order. And he's got a big, challenging task ahead of him. And at church, it seems, as, as you read through the letter, you get a sense probably of what the issue was, probably of what the, the greatest challenge, and that this culture, this society of Crete was starting to creep into the walls of the church. And there was a great deal, it seems like, the church had a, had, didn't have a great grasp on biblical truth. And as he comes into chapter 2, and that's where we're going to be this morning, chapter 2. As he comes into chapter 2, he goes group by group in the church. And he's talking to them about how you can thrive as believers in Christ. How we can live this life that God has given us. And he talks to the old men in the church, the older men. Then he talks to the younger men in the church. And he talks to the younger women. And he talks to the less younger women in the church. And he addresses them group by group of how, how you can get past being just in survival mode as a believer and how you can actually thrive in Christ. And this, this is where we're going to focus this morning, starting in verse 11. Because as he gets to the end of chapter 2, Verses 11 through 14, he kind of wraps up all of those instructions and, and is pointing out to them this incredible, amazing tool that God has given us to, to thrive in Christ, and that tool is His grace. As you follow along with me, I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word this morning. And Father, we, we just pray as we interact with you and your spirit in these next few moments, Lord, we know we are desperate for you. We're desperate for a touch from you. And Father, as you speak and as you teach, Lord, we only want to hear from you today. And I just pray that every one of us, we all decrease, you increase in us. And we walk out of this place here in just a few minutes. He said, I had an encounter with the living God today. And Father, would you speak to our hearts boldly and powerfully in these next few moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every time I, I preach, I like to pull out the main idea of the sermon. I like to tell you up front where we're going. Here's sort of the bottom line. Here's the main idea. Brian calls it the one thing. I call it the big idea. And here's what the, the big idea of this passage is this morning. 
that God's grace is not just so we can survive our past. We all have a past. We all have challenges. We all have things that we've gone through. We all have things that we desperately need God's forgiveness for. And God's grace covers that. It's not just so we can survive our past, but so that we can thrive as believers in the present and then on into the future. And I want to unpack these verses here in the next few moments. As Paul instructs this church on how the grace of God enables them to not just survive, but to thrive as believers in this world. And I want to see how that spoke to them, how that speaks to us today. The first thing, though, I think he, he kind of focuses on is that God's grace is enough for your past. God's grace is enough, whatever your past looks like. Wherever it has been and wherever it has taken you and wherever this journey of life has been in the past, God's grace is enough for your past. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, verses 11 through 14. Did you, did you notice when, when I was reading it a moment ago, and, and I don't know if it's up on the screen. I didn't look. I think it was. But did you notice it's one sentence, verses 11 through 14? It's all one sentence. And he begins with this simple statement of fact, the first part of verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. A simple statement of fact. And of course, he's talking about Jesus. The one that John said is full of grace and truth. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. This one full of grace and truth. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. And he uses, Paul uses this word here to talk about the, the appearing of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. And he says the grace of God. When he came, he, he showed us the grace of God in a very real way. And the Greek word he uses there, it's translated in, into English as grace. It's the Greek word charis. Actually, it's not pronounced that way. C-H-A-R-I-S. It's pronounced more, a little more throaty, a little more phlegmy. Charis is really kind of more how it's pronounced. And I'm sorry if you're seated up front, you may have gotten a little of that on you this morning. It's C-H-A-R-I-S. We get our English word charity from this word. At Christmas time, we collected a lot of stuff and we gave it to the needy in the community, the homeless, those who were, who were poor, those who were desperately in need. We collected, those were charitable acts. And when we think about charity, the, the meaning of that word, the concept of charity it has nothing to do with whether they deserve it or not, right? It's everything to do with their need. In fact, we don't even think about that. We had drop boxes in the back. We brought things, and when we put stuff in the box, we weren't thinking about, I wonder if those people deserve this. Charity is all about their desperate need, and that's the word that Paul uses. Jesus has come, the grace of God, and that, that word, is, is defined as, as unmerited favor, undeserved favor. That's the grace of God. In other words, the, the truth here is that the nature of God's grace, the nature of His grace coming, the nature of salvation, in that it's not because you deserve it, it's despite the fact that you do not. Now, I don't know if that's the first time you've heard that. Whether you're here in person this morning, you're joining us online, I don't know if that's the first time you've heard that. That we do not deserve salvation. We do not deserve heaven. There will never come a point in time as we walk on this earth that we will deserve it. And I don't know if that's the first time you've heard that. 
And if it is, I encourage you to, to listen closely to what the Word of God says. Because there will come a day when every one of us will give an account and will stand before God. And if we, if we approach that day and we say, I'm going to be there standing on my own merit and I will deserve heaven because God will see how good I am. We have to recognize that when we stand there on that day, we are judged by his standard and not ours. What does his standard of good look like? It's not what I think. We will be judged by his standard and, and we all will come short. This is what the Bible says, Romans 3.10. There's no one righteous, not even one. Later on in that same chapter, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you don't have to think very hard to know that that's true. As we interact in this world, we say, what is this seemingly this power that drives people away from good and drives us to, to pursue our own self-centeredness? What is that? That's sin. That, that's what's alive and active in the heart of all of us when we come into this world. All of us have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And our salvation is not available. God's grace, Jesus did not come because you and I deserve salvation. He came because, and despite the fact that we do not. In fact, Paul went so far in Galatians 2 to say, if salvation could be earned, then Jesus died for nothing. There was no reason for him to come. We could earn it on our own. That's the very nature of grace. It is undeserved favor. Now, I know that's not good news. And if that's the first time you have heard that, you say, I thought the gospel is supposed to be good news. That is not terribly good news to me. But I've often heard it said that the good news of the gospel doesn't make any sense apart from the bad news. If we don't understand the reality that we do not deserve God's favor, we do not deserve his mercy, we do not deserve his grace. If we don't understand that, then the good news of the gospel that you and I can be saved doesn't make any sense. Saved from what? If I can earn this on my own, I don't need to be saved. Good news doesn't make any sense apart from the bad news. That's not good news, but here is some good news. That your past, no matter how messed up it might be, doesn't disqualify you from God's grace. Let me ask you a question. Show of hands this morning. How many of you have a past that's got some stuff in it you're not proud of? Show of hands. All right, now I just want to hold your hand up for just a second. Now I want you to look around the room. And what you see is every single hand in this room is held up. You can put your hands down. Every one of us has a past that has stuff in it that when we look back, we say, I'm not proud of that moment. Not only that, if I could go, I'm just, I'm outright ashamed. If I could go back and do it again, I wouldn't do that again. We all have that in our past. Sometimes... People come to the, the thought. They say, my past is so bad. Man, preacher, you don't know some of the stuff I've done. You don't know some of the things that I have been involved in. And my past is so bad. It's so far from God. It is so messed up that there is absolutely no way that God could love me. I'm way beyond the reach of his grace. You just don't know how bad I've been. 
you're right. I don't know. I don't have any idea. And if anyone could have thought that way, it would have been the author of this letter, Paul. In fact, Acts Acts chapter 9 tells us that as, as Paul is on his way to the city of Damascus, and he's on the, the road to Damascus. Jesus reached down to him. And what it says there is while he was breathing out murderous threats against the church. Not a bright spot in Paul's life. Not a bright moment of goodness. And in the midst of that, Jesus reaches down to him. And if anyone could have said, listen, my past completely disqualifies me from the grace of God, it could have been the apostle Paul. I mentioned this, verses 11 through 14, all one sentence. And he makes that opening statement, just the statement of fact that the grace of God has appeared. And then everything that follows it, from that statement on, everything that follows it points to a result of that. The grace of God has appeared, and everything after that is the result of that. And he he continues there in verse 11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to who? All men. All men. Now, that does not mean that everyone will be saved. But what it means is that regardless of what your past looks like, regardless of where you've been or what you've done or what you've not done or how messed up a person you used to be, you're not beyond the grace of You're not beyond the reach of God's grace. The grace of God has appeared so that salvation is available for all men. And your past, no matter how bad it might be, doesn't disqualify you from God's grace. That same Apostle Paul, who could have said, listen, I could be disqualified. Maybe I should be, absolutely should be disqualified from God's grace. said this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul recognized that God's grace was the only thing in him, the only thing good in him. The only reason that one day he could stand before the Lord and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, was not because of his religious upbringing. Paul was brought up in church. You realize that. Not because he knew a lot of things. Paul would have had what we would call a PhD in Old Testament. Paul knew the law. He was brought up in church. And one day when he stood before the Lord and he heard, well done, good and faithful servant, it wasn't because of that. Certainly it wasn't because of anything Paul brought to the table. His past didn't disqualify him from God's grace, though. It's what enabled him to stand before the Lord, that and that alone. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God's grace came to you because you could not get to him. We look at this, this beautiful, amazing thing. We often sing that hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. We, we think about God's grace. That's where Paul's going with this very first thing, is that his grace is enough for your past. And God's grace is not just for eternal life, though. Paul seems to kind of turn the corner. Because that's an incredible truth, that God's grace covers our past no matter what it is. His grace is available to us that we can be saved no matter who we are. That's an incredible truth. But Paul uses grace in a different way, too. 
it's not just for eternal life, that's amazing, but it's for life, life. That there seems to be a power in grace that, that Paul is talking about that enables us to live, not just to survive, not to survive our past just, but to live this life, to thrive in this life. And he goes on to talk about the results of grace's coming. Pick it up in verse 12. And I'll read that opening phrase again. For the grace of God has appeared and then jump to verse 12. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. See, there is a power of God's grace that not just brings us, allows us to, to have our sins forgiven, but it enables us to work and live and thrive and be the kind of people that God calls us to be. The grace of God teaches us how to detach from those sinful thoughts and those sinful desires. Many times we say things like this and we think about the, the sin that we constantly trip over. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many have those. We all do. We have those sins that we sort of continually seem to trip over. And sometimes the thought comes in our mind and we'll say things like this. I just can't seem to resist. Right? I just, I feel like I'm powerless against. Have you ever said that? I feel powerless against this sin. Paul said over in Ephesians chapter 4 that grace enables us to take off the old man and put on the new. Like taking off an old coat and putting on a new one. Grace enables us to do that. And he said in Romans 6 that we're dead to sin. In fact, the theme of Romans 6 is all about this, how we have gone from being dead in sin to now being dead to sin. That is a dramatic transformation. And here's the truth. Here's the reality. Because when we consider grace, that it's not just for that moment of salvation, but it's for every moment of our lives after that, and we consider grace that way, our mindset shifts, doesn't it? Our perspective shifts. And here's the reality, the mindset, that because of God's grace, you're not powerless against sin. Sin is powerless against you. And so how come I feel powerless? How come I feel like I, I, I can't get over this? I can't get past it. How come I feel that way? Because the only power that sin has in your life as a believer in Christ is the power that you give it. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, grace of God is at work and that his spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God. This is how God is teaching us to do exactly what he said in verse 12, deny ungodliness and worldly desires. That in those moments when you're tempted to put the old coat back on, you're tempted to, to live in that, we respond the ways you used to. God's spirit reminds us my grace is sufficient. I've already rendered that powerless in your life. You can accept my offer of sufficient grace. You can live in the power of grace. You can live past this sin. You can reject sin's offer of destruction. 
But it's not enough to just detach from our old ways, is it? That's, that's surviving. I've had my past sins forgiven. That moment I came to Christ, all of my past sins were forgiven. And I can detach from my sinful ways and my sinful thoughts, but that's just surviving, just getting by, right? It's not enough to just do that. Warren said something last week. I wrote it down. And I thought, man, that was awesome. He said, we're not, we're not called to live morally neutral lives as believers. And Paul goes on, last part of verse 12. For the grace of God has appeared, last part of verse 12, so that we can live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's what he teaches us to do. Not just detach from our sinful ways, but to live godly lives. That's the power of grace in our lives. That's the power of grace beyond sin. Think about this. If you're struggling with thriving, you say, I kind of go through my, my Christian walk in survival mode, a little bit like the church here. I just keep going on from, from maybe one failure to the next. That's what my walk feels like. I'm just in survival mode. I want to ask you this. What keeps you from thriving? I think oftentimes what keeps us from thriving is that we simply won't move past our sin. We just keep circling back in our hearts and in our minds, whether we're doing it or not, we keep circling back on the moment and we say things that sound uber spiritual like, I just can't forgive myself. Have you said that? Some point in time in your life has that thought popped in your mind. I know God has forgiven this sin, but I can't forgive myself. Let me just suggest that holds you back. Because the thought is this, if I just carry the shame and the guilt of that sin with me every moment of every day, that will keep me from doing it again. Let me ask you something. How's that working out for you? Because that's what you said last time, right? And you said, I'm going to carry that shame and guilt because I did it now and I don't want to do it again. And now here I am again. Carrying it with me. How is that working out? Grace teaches us something profound. That God redeems our sin. He doesn't relive it. He doesn't bring it back. He's not reminding you when we repent, God forgives our sins. He's faithful and just every single time. He separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. He remembers it no more. Now, the question is, why do we? Why do we circle back? Why do we keep going back? Do you live in that reality? Because if you don't, if you're the, the kind of person who says, I can't forgive myself, and I keep circling back to that same issue in my heart and mind, you're not allowing God to teach you through that sin. To allow to have that, that teaching moment through that failure. You know, some of the most profound lessons in life come from failures. And we just keep circling back and focusing on that and carrying the guilt and the shame and the weight. We refuse to allow God to teach us through the failure. We refuse to allow the consequences to be the things that he uses to shape our lives refuse to move past. 
refuse to live in the power of his grace. And the reality is that grace teaches us how to become less like us and more like him. That's what we need, right? That's what we all desperately need. That's what John said in John chapter 3. He must increase. I must decrease. That's exactly what he's talking about. My heart, my mind, my sinful self says I need to come back and keep revisiting that thing. That's more like me. Grace says I'll redeem it, not relive it. Move on. Allow me to teach you from it. God's grace is an amazing thing, not just enough, sufficient to cover our past, but his grace empowers our present makes us, it gives us the strength and the ability that you and I need so that we cannot just survive in this world, but we can thrive in this world. And the last thing I want us to see is God's grace encourages you with future hope. Paul often refers to this walk with Christ, or this journey with Christ as a walk. Have you ever been on a road trip with kids? Exactly. Right? I mean, you know, you hear that question a thousand times, no matter how long the journey is. From the back seat, there's this constant chorus of, are we there yet? You know, sometimes our Christian walks the same way. And Paul refers to it as a walk, not a run. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. But we often are, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And it can sometimes be a frustrating and a slow and a messy process. But look at the encouragement he has for us. When we are in the middle of that, in the midst of that, and we, and we start to ask, are we there yet? Look at the encouragement he has for us. For the grace of God has appeared. Jump down to verse 14 to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Now let me ask you, does that describe you right now? Pure, zealous for good deeds? Yeah, we all probably have some moments where maybe we're closer to that than others, but does that really just sort of describe the overall course of your life? That's discouraging, isn't it? We think about this journey, this walk, this can be frustratingly slow and, and painfully messy. And so where is the encouragement in that? See, understanding God's grace reminds you that he has done something amazing in your past and he has done some, he's doing something amazing in your present. But it reminds you that his greatest work in you is yet to come. That the greatest work that God is going to do in you is yet to come. Listen to what Paul said, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will do it. Now there's hope. There's encouragement. In the face of this painfully slow, frustrating walk, 
that's up and down and back and forth and messy and sometimes discouraging. There's encouragement. There's hope to keep our eyes fixed on where he's going. You are not the person you used to be. I don't know if I mentioned this here. I, I preached last, last two Sundays at a different church, and I, I lose track of where I mentioned stuff. So if I mentioned this before, just nod and smile like you've never heard this before. <laughs> now, let's Southern gospel music. Yeah, you know, Southern gospel, the, the quartet, those four guys up there, and the screaming high tenor, and the bass notes that rattle the rafters. I just love Southern gospel music. There's an old Southern gospel song that says, I'm not the man I used to be. Praise God, I'm not the man I used to be, but I'm also not the man I will be. That's the reality in grace, is that you and I are not the people that we will be yet. God is at work in us, and that's, that's an encouragement in the face of those, those times when there's setbacks, when your walk with Christ is not where you want it to be, not where it ought to be. You say, where is the hope? Where is the encouragement? Grace points us to the future. Where is God going with all? Grace encourages us by keeping our eyes fixed on where he's going, not where you've been. This world's a mess. Amen? I mean, you open up the news and you read what's going on around the world. This world is just an absolute train wreck. And at times, you know, we, it just seems to be going from bad to worse. And by the way, that's not a surprise to God. He's not knocked off the throne. He's not up there in heaven saying, look at the mess those people made. It's not a surprise to him, but this world is a mess. And as sad as I am about that, to see that take place, what makes me even sadder is often I'm struck by the lack of grace in discussions that we as believers often have about that. But what's going on, the trouble in this world and the troublemakers in this world. And I'm often struck by the lack of grace. I get on Facebook and I read some of the comments by, by people I know who love the Lord. I'm just struck by the lack of grace sometimes. But as always, the, the scripture pulls our eyes out from who we are here and what's going on here. It pulls our eyes up to hope in Christ every time. John said this, 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, now we are children of God. Now something's changed. We're different. We are now children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. Now that points us to a future hope, right? That pulls our eyes out from the muck of this world and makes us look to the hope in Christ. We say, well, that's where he's going. Man, I can't wait. I can't. But what about now? And I don't know when that's going to happen. God in his grace didn't tell us that because let's be honest, we'd wait till the last minute to do anything. I don't know when that's going to happen. What am I supposed to do now? How am I supposed to be in this world that is an utter train wreck? And how am I supposed to be now? That's what Paul said. The grace of God has appeared. Looking for the blessed hope. The appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
The NIV said it this way, the grace of God has come while we wait for the blessed hope. See, that's then. We look to the future. We say, man, what a, what a wonderful day, an amazing day that's going to be when we'll see him like he is. But what about now? While we wait for the blessed hope of the future, we have God's grace. John said that Jesus is the one who came full of grace and truth. That's what you and I are in this present age. Agents of grace, agents of truth. And often we get so passionate about the truth. And we should be. Jesus said, I am the way I am the truth. We ought to be passionate about the truth. It is the truth that will set people free. We ought to be passionate about the truth. Sometimes we can get so passionate about the truth. We forget about grace. So Jesus came in grace and truth. We are followers of him, not grace or truth. Not, well, you'll get grace on Monday, but Tuesday, man, that's a whole different story. Full of grace and truth, all grace, all truth, all the time. That preeminent philosopher, Mary Poppins. This well doesn't run very deep. Mary Poppins is about as deep as it runs. She sang that song, Just a Spoonful of Sugar. Yeah. You know, just a spoonful of grace doesn't dilute the truth. Just a, a spoonful of grace doesn't make the truth any less powerful. It doesn't make the truth any less true. It's not watering down the truth. To speak it in grace, to speak it in love. A spoonful of grace doesn't dilute the truth, a spoonful of grace makes them willing to hear it. Grace encourages us by keeping our eyes fixed on where he's going, not where we've been, not what's happening now, but to look to the future and say, I desperately need God's grace so I can be an agent of both of those things, grace and truth. Because grace is what brought the hope of truth to you in the first place. If you're here this morning, you are a believer in Christ. It is only because of grace. It is God's grace that brought you to that point. And it's God's grace that will bring hope to the world around you. So let me encourage you this morning. Think about the grace of God and what it has done in our lives. How are we to thrive as believers in this world and not just survive? Let me encourage you to not just recognize grace as the, as the thing that brought you to that moment of salvation, but the thing that empowers you to live every moment of every day past that. And we always end our service with two prayers. Brian does. I'll do that again this morning. We always end our service with two prayers, one of salvation and one of application. Maybe you're joining us here or joining us online this morning, and maybe this was the first time that you were confronted with the reality that you do not deserve heaven. You were hoping, betting, counting on your own goodness to get you there. You see, that's not the case. And you need to experience God's grace. For the very first time, you need to experience it to have that messy, messed up past of yours forgiven. 
If that's you this morning, God's spoken to your heart that way this morning, just pray this prayer along with me. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray it in your mind. God can hear it. If you're sincere about this, there's nothing magical about the words of this prayer. But if you are sincere, you want to do business with God this morning. He'll hear it. He'll respond. If you need to trust him for the very first time, pray this prayer along with me. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for your grace. Because I know that I am a sinner and I don't deserve it. I don't deserve anything from you other than wrath, other than eternity separated from you. But Father, in your grace, you sent Jesus. In your love, you sent him for me. And I believe he died on the cross for me, paid the penalty for sin that I owed. And that he stands and wants to forgive me. So Jesus, I ask you to do that. Forgive my sins. Save me and give me eternal life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time, would you let somebody know? Maybe, maybe send an email to Pastor Brian, brian at harvestchurcheugene.com. On the online connection card. Fill that in there. I prayed that prayer for the first time. If somebody brought you to church this morning, let them know. If you're sitting next to somebody, whether they brought you or not, nudge them and let them know. Would you let somebody know? We want to help you learn how to thrive as a believer. We also want to pray a prayer of application because maybe you prayed that, that prayer of salvation a long time ago, years or decades ago, but you feel like you're stuck you say, I'm just in survival mode as a Christian. I've not been tapping in to this incredible power of God's grace. I'm certainly not living my life as an agent of His grace. If that's you this morning, pray this along with me this morning. Father, I thank you for showing me grace so that I can show others grace. For giving me grace, not so that I can be saved, but so that I can live as though I'm saved. And Father, I want to just repent this morning that I have not been tapping into that incredible power of your grace. I've not been leaning on, relying on you and the sufficiency of your grace. Father, I pray that you'd help me to be an agent of that. Father, would you, would you remind me in those moments when I'm tempted to act more like me and less like you. Your grace is sufficient. Help me to thrive in this world as a believer in Christ, not just to survive. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for being with me every moment of every day. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand together as we sing our